Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. We've been on for over 10 years, and the purpose of this program is to preach the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, yod heh or God. And... I have over 300 uh, different programs on various subjects, and I would encourage you to look in the archives, and I've talked about so many things, uh, various topics about the Bible, and it would be of great benefit to you to look over those things and to actually pick which uh, subjects uh, you are very interested in i would suggest you perhaps listen to all of them if you like but it's for your benefit yeah i don't charge for any of my teachings although i would appreciate it if you did donate to this ministry uh you can do that but by going to the merciful service of god.com merciful service of god.com and clicking the don't yellow donate button on the website or you could uh, call our toll-free number 1-800-941-8011 that's 1-800- Nine four one eight zero eleven, and we could instruct you on how you can send a money order or check uh, to an address to support the ministry. Of course, you can use that line also for any prayer requests, uh, any healing uh, that you like for us to pray for, or if you're having issues with trying to find a job or whatever, we can give you some advice in, in reference to that. So. Again, that number is 1-800-941-8011. All right, this is a topic that I have to be honest with you, based on my experience of studying the Bible for over 30 years, most people really don't have a clear understanding of who God's people are. So the purpose of this program is to clarify that, and I hope a simple way where you can understand who are really God's people. Who does he look to and say, oh, the, this, this individual, whether it's a male or female, is certainly a person that believes in me and what I say and, and, and my laws and regulations and my way of life. And so that's what this program is about. To give you a little background in, in, in the movement of, of believing the Bible, we have the Jews. We have the Jews. Uh, they have five various sects, main sects, 
of Judaism, you have the ultra-Orthodox, you have Orthodox, you have conservatives, you have reformists, uh, you have other different branches. And But one of the things that they all commonly believe is that Yeshua or Jesus is not the Messiah. And because of that, they reject the New Testament or the apostolic scriptures. And so when they do that, they obviously are blinding themselves from understanding, although they would, any Judas listening to me would say, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I believe I do know what I'm talking about. And <laughs> uh, the entire Bible, both the old and the new t- together is a complete word of God. But anyway, to get to my point, because of that, they don't see Messiah in the old Testament. And, of course, they don't see Messiah at all in in the New Testament. And so from there, we have some Jews that actually do believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. But you have various branches. The two main branches of those, you have the Jews for Jesus branch, which embraces Christianity to the point where they don't even keep the Sabbath and the Holy Days anymore. Uh, They celebrate Christmas. They they do all these other things that... um, Protestant Christians do, which when you understand is really what the Bible teaches about the law. Uh, And then you have another branch that actually do keep the Sabbath and the holy days and some celebrate Christmas and some don't, but they believe that the Sabbath and the holy days and the clean and unclean meat instructions are just for Jews only, not for people who aren't Jews. And then you have another branch, which is rare, I'm finding, of Jews that actually do believe that the Torah, as the Bible correctly teaches, uh, should be kept by everybody. That's the ultimate goal, that everyone will be keeping Torah. And one foundational scripture for that, and you can build upon it, is uh, Isaiah. Isaiah is, is, is interesting. Isaiah is 66 chapters. And the 66 chapter says this, and, and it's, it's amazing. And the reason why I said that that's amazing is because uh, the book of Isaiah is considered by scholars, biblical scholars, to be like a mini Bible. Okay, it's so like a mini Bible. And it, it kind of talks about, in the first chapter, it talks about, well, let me let me read that. And I don't know, this this program may be two hours, folks, so if that's too much for you, try to listen as much as you can, and it'll be in the archives. You'll be able to listen to it again. But this is a very important program because I want to, without doubt, clarify who God's people really are using the Bible. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1. And it's interesting how Isaiah starts and then how it finishes. It says, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah, and Jerusalem in the days of Uzzah, Jotham, Ahaz, uh, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 1, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the master has spoken. So this is a very important message that he has right here. So we need to listen up. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So when you do uh, proper Bible study, you understand that people, whoever they are, they are rebellious, the majority of them. They are rebellious. So 
to be rebellious, then you know what to do, but you don't want to do it. Okay, so that's one of the characteristics of God's people is that they are very rebellious. Now, verse 3, the ox knows his owner and he has his master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not consider. And then he says in verse 4, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. This is what he calls his people. And it's not just talking about the Jews, folks. All right? Let's, I'm going to clarify that today. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the master. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. Verse 5. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. That means the leadership of wherever Israel is today is sick. And the whole heart is faint. Verse 6. From the sole of the foot, even into the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been clothed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment, which tells us, for those who know, that essential oils and herbs is the true medicine that God wants us to use, not this, what is called, which is translated sorcery in the book of Revelation. Uh, that word is pharmakia, and that's where we get our word pharma, pharmacy today. Not to say that all pharmaceutical medicines are bad, but a majority of them are, and it's good to stay away from those and use the natural herbs, vegetables and fruits, and a capsule combination of those, and then also essential oils for healing. And I think I will do, matter of fact, I will do a program about that in the future of how you can act, do that, because I have that knowledge. Verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 1, or God gave it to me. Isaiah 1, verse 7, your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. In verse 8, and the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in the vineyard, as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. That's talking about Jerusalem, the, uh, the future Jerusalem uh, is, is kind of indicating that the city will be taken over as the prophecies have revealed in the future. And that will start the abomination of desolation. Verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. And so there's a very small, very small remnant of the, uh, who was considered Israel today. All right? And it's not just the Jews again. We should have been at Sodom. We should have been like Gomorrah. And then verse 10, hear the word of the master, you rulers of Sodom, and give ear unto the Torah of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So whoever Israel today, they certainly commit the sins of Sodom. All right. And so I'm going to leave it here and I'm going to um, refer to a document that I'm hoping that you get because it'll explain this more thoroughly because I don't have enough time in 90 minutes to go into this in detail. But you need to get this free book by going to this website, www.howgodcalls.com. That's www.howgodcalls.com. It will go into further detail of what I'm getting ready to reveal to you today. And I'm looking at the 12 tribes of Israel because this is something that you must understand because if you don't understand this, you won't understand really who God's people are. All right? You won't understand that. 
you won't understand it initially. And you're going to struggle with um, certain scriptures if you don't understand this. So let me prove to you that using the scriptures that Israel consists of two houses right now. Originally under King Saul, King David, or King David, and King Solomon, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, they were combined to form Israel. But we know what happened. Solomon, because of his sin, God prophesied that it would be split into two houses. I don't have time to go over that. That's why I'm telling you to go read that book in the section of the 12 tribes. But these are the scriptures that reveal Israel consists of two houses today. I'm going to read each and every one of them so you understand. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, chapter 13, verse 11. It says, for as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I called to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah. See, see the separation there, says the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for praise and for glory, but they would not hear. So it's saying the house of Judah, which consists of the Jews today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and then the house of Israel which many times in the Bible, in the book of Hosea, reveals this, consists of the 10 lost tribes. And I've said many times on this program, if you don't believe me, go to this website, www.britam.org. That's www.britam.org. And so that website will reveal that Israel consists today of the Jews and the little nation of Israel in the Middle East, but also the Western nations that are today, the United States, Canada, the countries of Northwestern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And it also includes those who attach themselves to um, Israel by being believers of Yeshua. All right, so that is considered all of Israel as far as God is concerned today. And most of them are rebellious. They are. And I'm going to show you how they're rebellious. Please pay attention to this. This is a very, very important Bible study. And I'm going to pour my all into this. And I just hope that you believe what I'm teaching you here because I'm just quoting you scriptures. All right. So what I'm doing right now, these are key scriptures that reveal Israel consists of two houses. And I have a chart, a little handy chart that I created or a little table that illustrates this in the free book. And you can get the free book by going to www.howgodcalls.com. All right, Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning in verse 14. It says, Behold, the days come, says the master, that I will perform the, thing, the good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Again, the split. Verse 15, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up into David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. It's talking about the Messiah here. Verse 16, Yeshua, Jesus. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherein she shall be called the Lord of our righteousness. But thus says the master, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. He shall never want a man to, to uh, sit upon the house of Israel. So, 
So I just wanted to quote that. That's, that's another scripture that reveals that in the end time, they're going to be gathered together. Now, Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. And she and, and then the book of Hosea really helps you to understand who Ephraim is or who the ten tribes are. Hosea 1 verse 6, and she conceived again and bare a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Larahama, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, or the Jews, and will save them by the master their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. And verse 8, now when she weaned, okay, let me go down here. Verse 11, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. All right, so that's another scripture that reveals there's still a separation. Now, Ezekiel 37, this is a scripture that's quoted in a popular way in the Hebrew Roots Movement. And for those who are listening to me for the first time, the Hebrew Roots Movement is, a, is simply a movement that uh, focuses on understanding that Jesus was a Jew and that we should do um, Jewish things as long as uh, those Jewish things don't conflict with the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures does tell us, uh, let me find that scripture here about tradition. And when it talks about the traditions, uh, all traditions aren't bad, ladies and gentlemen, and even the scriptures command us to uphold the traditions. Um, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold unto the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our... Let's understand something, and this is something you need to, to understand in the historical context of the Bible itself. And I'm talking about the first century historical context. The first believers, you want to call them Christians or people who are messianic, they, they believe, because Christ means Messiah, they believe uh, that Yeshua is a Messiah. Non-Jews or those of the ten lost tribes, plus those who aren't, weren't of the ten lost tribes that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, because they were brought near into the commonwealth of Israel, they they fellowship with Jews of the house of Judah uh, in synagogues. And they did Jewish things that did not conflict with the scriptures. And so did Yeshua. And so we have gotten away from those traditions. But it says here in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold. That Greek word means to take hold of the grasp. Don't forget those traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our, or our epistle. The apostles did not forget those traditions, and we shouldn't either. And we shouldn't look at them as being, oh, that's this Jewish thing. Well, if the apostles did it, and Yeshua approved of them doing it, then we should do it as well. Remember, the Acts of the Apostles is a record of what they did. And we have to follow their example because Ephesians 2 verse 20 says they are the foundation. They are part of the foundation. And so are the prophets. The apostles and the prophets, are they are the foundation of the Kahila or the assembly of the church. And so we should follow those examples and not run away from those examples, which Christianity has done. And the majority of people who call themselves Christians. Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37. 
starting in verse 15. It says, The word of the master came unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah, for Judah, and for the children of Israel, his companions, then take another stick. Okay, so I'll, let me back up here. This is an end-time prophecy. This has not occurred yet because the two houses are still separate. And let me just break it down to you have Jews and you have Christians, okay? The majority of the house of Israel, those 10 lost tribes, are Christians, and, and a lot of them are Protestant Christians. They revolted against the Catholic Church. Anyway, Ezekiel 37, verse 16, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, and then take another stick. So these are two sticks, and write upon it Joseph, or Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. So that's a biblical example of an interpretation. When you see Ephraim, it can refer to uh, the British people, and I don't have time to go into that. But let me just give you a little hint. Brit means covenant-ish means man, Brit-ish. Okay, so the, Brit the British people certainly have something to do with Israel as well. And I don't have time to go into detail about that. That's why I want you to get that book. It's a free book, HowGodCalls.com, and download that book. Also, go to Year Davidi's website, www.britam.org. That's B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M.org to be enlightened and amazed at information that is not being taught in your schools anywhere, um, hardly any school. So anyway, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Joseph consists of Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim, when you understand it, was prophesied in Genesis chapter 48 to be a company of nations, a commonwealth of nations. And we know that the British Empire uh, was considered and may still be considered the British Commonwealth of Nations. And then uh, Manasseh was prophesied to be a great nation. And United States is the greatest nation probably in the history of the world. And so Manasseh is the United States and Ephraim are the 10 tribes. Again, if you have any doubt whatsoever what I'm telling you, research this yourself by getting my free book, www.howgodcalls.com www.howgodcalls.com and also go to Britam, B R I T A M.org, B as in boy, R B R I T A M.org. Okay, so for Joseph, this is in verse 16, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions, in verse 17, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. So those two Jews and Christians will be united again as one, one day. That's the good news. Verse 18, and when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, will thou not show us what thou mean by these? Say unto them, thus says the master, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them, those of those ten tribes, them with him, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. And the sticks wherein Thou right shall be in thy hand before thy eyes, and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, or the unbelievers, those who don't really believe in Messiah at all, uh, whether they be gone and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be 
No more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with idols, nor with the detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. Here we go. Cleansing. They have to be cleansed. So shall they be my people. And so without them being cleansed, they are really not his people. And that goes for anyone. Does it make a difference if you're a Jew or, or part of the uh, 10 tribes? If you are not cleansed, then ultimately you will not be his people, even if you are a part of the tribes of Israel. I just want to point that out. And I will be their God, uh, and I will be their people. So again, he needs to cleanse each and every one of us so that we will be his people. This, this is part of the third doctrine, basic doctrine of God, which is the doctrine of washings. We have to be cleansed from living dirty lives or lives that are not approved of God for us to be considered his people. Verse 24, and David, my servant, shall be, the actual David will be resurrected and shall be king over them. And, and he's a Jew, by the way. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. So, uh, so whoever Israel is today, and I've already told you, uh, Jews and Christians should be keeping all of his statutes and judgments, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 25, and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell there, and even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forevermore. Moreover, I will make a covenant or agreement of shalom or peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yes, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. These the heathen are people who don't even know about his law and don't care about keeping his law. But remember, Israel is to be a light to the nations. Jews and Christians should be a light to those who don't believe in the Bible. And both, unfortunately, have failed as being the true light. And let me tell you how each of them has failed. And Romans 11 says Israel is blind. It's not talking about just the Jews. It's also talking about those who consider themselves believers of Yeshua. Many of them, they are blinded because they believe that the law was nailed to the cross. That's a lie. It was not nailed to the cross. Um, and Jews, of course, have issues because they don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Most Jews. I'm not talking, there's, there's a remnant of Jews that do, and there's a remnant of Christians that actually believe that we should keep the Sabbath and holy days in the complete whole Torah. But the blindness, let me summarize this again, the blindness for Jews, most Jews, is that they don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And the blindness for Christians or those of the 10 tribes of Israel is that they don't believe that the Torah, uh, especially the Sabbath, the holy days, and the clean and unclean meat instructions, should not, the whole Torah should not be observed because the law was nailed to the cross. And so that's, the, that's causing the great division between the two houses. All right? And there are actually three houses. I don't teach this as two houses, but those, there's two houses 
that are considered Israel, that should be Israel. But also there's another part that God is concerned with, Jeremiah 36, verse 2. And please take a pencil, jot these scriptures down, and look the scriptures up. Jeremiah 36, verse 2. Take the roll, take the a roll of a book and write there in all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against the nations. Okay, so you have Israel and you have Judah and you have the nations. Those are the three main segments that God is concerned about. He's concerned about everybody because he loves everybody. And Yeshua died for all of mankind, not just for Israel or the Jews. All right. I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke unto thee from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. So there's three areas. The two of those um, segments is considered Israel. The nations, um, they're not considered Israel, but they can join Israel and become spiritually Israel. And that's what the Bible teaches, ladies and gentlemen. All right. It's more important for the spiritual than the physical. Because in Romans chapter 9, it states this. Romans chapter 9. It says about Israel. Romans 9 verse 6. Not as though the word of God had none, has taken none effect. In Romans 9 verse 6. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are Israel. Okay, so just because someone is from the tribe doesn't mean ultimately in the end they will be a part of Israel. To be a part of Israel and to be uh, to, to have salvation, obedience is certainly part of the equation, obeying his, his uh, mitzvot or his commandments. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 3 to 4. For lo, the days come, says the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity or in the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, says the master, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Verse 4, and these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Again, there's two different groups that's considered Israel. It's not just the Jews, folks. Jeremiah 30, verse 30. Jeremiah uh, 30. Okay, already, uh, yeah, verses 3 to 4. All right, so uh, Isaiah 8, verse 14. Isaiah 8, verse 14. Isaiah 8, verse 14. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and a, for a rock of offense. Isaiah 8, verse 14. He shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. There's two houses of Israel. You have a house of Judah. And you have a house of Israel. This is a perfect scripture. Isaiah 8, verse 14. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense, to both the houses of Israel. For again, in the snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So there's two houses of Israel. The house of Judah and the house of Israel. Zechariah 10, verse 6 to 8. Zechariah 10, verse 6 to 8. And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. The house of Joseph. What is the house of Joseph? Well, that's Ephraim and Manasseh. And I will bring them again to place them for, but Ephraim has something to do with the house of Joseph as well, as I showed you. And I will bring them again to place them for I have mercy upon them and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. For I am the Lord, their God, and will hear them. 
I will hear them. And let's go back to Ezekiel again, Ezekiel chapter 37. This is important. I have to start out this way so you can understand the rest of what I'm going to talk about here. And so right here in Ezekiel 37, verse 16, it says, For Joseph says, take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all the house of Israel's companions. So when you see Joseph, uh, especially in the last scripture I quoted you, Zechariah chapter 10, Joseph is associated with Ephraim, those 10 tribes, those so-called 10 lost tribes. Uh, Zechariah chapter 10, verses 6 to 8. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, Zechariah 10, verse 7, and they of Ephraim, shall be like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as though wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. Verse 8, I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. And then the last scripture here uh, to uh, cover this section of the key scriptures that reveal Israel consists of two houses, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 4 to 6. It states, In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping, they shall go and seek the master, their God. Okay, so here we go again, that, that separation. So I just wanted to point that out as we begin this Bible study of trying to figure out who God's people are biblically. All right, so let's, let's go back and let's continue on with this study here, this very, very important study. All right, so who are God's people and what makes them holy, sanctified, set apart, and clean? I just read that one scripture that they have to be cleansed to be considered his people. How does that happen? All right, so let's start. In, uh, you know, I have these scriptures on the screen here. If you are listening to me, you can actually follow me here. Uh, Exodus 7 verse 4 In the King James Version it says But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you That I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth my armies And my people the children of Israel Out of the land of Egypt By great judgments Alright so his people are called The children of Israel and I think you Understand who Israel is now It consists of Jews it consists of Christians Okay Those who are Christians that's the simplest way that I can put it. Those who are believers of Yeshua being the Messiah. Yeshua is considered the king of Israel. And if he is the king of Israel, then he's going to be what? He's going to be what? Going by Israel's rules. Okay, so that's something that I, I believe a lot of Christians don't realize who they are worshiping. They don't, they don't realize that they're worshiping a king. <laughs> Yeshua is the king. He's a king. He is a king. And one of his disciples recognized that. I'm trying to find the scripture here. He knew that he was the king of Israel. And that's one of the things that the Messiah is going to do. He's going to rule over Israel. And there's a, a consistent thought all throughout the Bible of God's people as being his wife, all right? And we know the laws of what a wife should do. She should obey her husband, right? Well, if her husband is a king of Israel, and if her husband is obeying or 
executing those laws of Israel, then the wife must obey those laws of Israel or she would not be considered one flesh, right? Because that's what a wife is. She should be one with her husband, right? And Ephesians chapter 5 says plainly that Christ or the Messiah is looking for a wife or the assembly is his wife is his bride and the marriage will be consummated here in John 1 verse 49 Nathanael answered and said unto him Rabbi thou art the son of Yehovah thou art the king of Israel and so that's what he is ladies and gentlemen our master our savior is a king he is the king of Israel and so if he's the king of Israel, then he's going to be executing Israel's laws and regulations. And if we are his bride, which we are many times in the Bible, it talks about us being his bride. And this is the simplest way I can explain this. Okay. I'm trying to explain this in a simple way uh, that you'll understand this. And so he is c considered a king. And so you have to understand the implications of that. And he is a king, and he was born to be a king. And he even told um, Pilate, if I can find this here, I think it's in John 18. Right. John 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Yeshua answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice, and that's interesting. You have to be of the truth to hear his voice and or to understand his voice, see. And this goes back and do a little quick mini Bible study of what the truth is. What is truth? Well, the longest psalm in the Bible tells you what truth is, folks. Psalm 119. If you read that entire song, it'll tell you what truth is. But two verses actually tell you what truth is. Psalm 119, 142. Jot the scripture down and read it. It said all, and see the King James Version says law, but it says all your law is the truth. But that word law is translated Torah, and that means his way, his instructions. And then... Psalm 119, verse 151, tells you that all of his commandments are mitzvot. That's what, how you say it in Hebrew, mitzvot, or his commandments, is the truth. All right, so that's what the truth is, ladies and gentlemen. The truth is his entire words, his commandments, all of his instructions. The entire Bible is the truth. And Yeshua said in Matthew 4, verse 4, Matthew 4, verse 4, you must live by every word of God. And where he quoted that scripture in Daniel, in Daniel chapter, uh, not Daniel, but in Deuteronomy, I think it's uh, chapter 7. No, Daniel chapter 8, I'm sorry. Not, not Daniel. Keep on saying Daniel. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe and do. All, not some, all. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord Swear unto your fathers, verse 2, and thou shalt remember all the way which the master thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee 
and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. He means every word. Every word that proceeds out, out of the master does man live. So if you want to keep some commandments and don't keep others, that, that's not living by every word of God. And the spirit that you should have in you, because as many false spirits and many people have false spirits in them, according to 1 John 4, verse 1. The true spirit of God is the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of keeping all of his instructions. It's the spirit of keeping all of his commandments. And John 16, verse 13 says the following about that. John 16, John 16, verse 13 says the following. How be it, how be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, he's going to guide you into all truth, ladies and gentlemen, not some truth, all the truth. All the truth he's going to guide you to. And so that's important to understand that. That he's going to guide you into all truth. All truth. It is the spirit of truth. And this is another scripture that some people hate, I guess, but I'm going to quote it anyway. And 1 John 2, verse 1, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua Messiah, or Jesus Christ, the righteous, verse 2. And he is the covering or propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And when you see that phrase, keep the commandments, he's talking about all of his commandments, not some of them. Verse 4, he that says, I know him and keep of not his commandments is a liar. That's what the scriptures are saying. I'm not calling you a liar. God is calling me or anyone else a liar if we don't have the desire to keep all his commandments. Verse 3, and hereby we do know him if we hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. His commandments, they, they what they do is help you to understand who God is and his character. And when you leave just one commandment out. You are deficient in understanding him completely and his way of life. Verse 4, he that says, I know him and keep of not his commandments as a liar. And the truth, what I just explained to you what truth is, truth is keeping all of his instructions. Truth is keeping all of his commandments. Is not in him. And so that means the spirit of truth is not in you. Because Yeshua should be living in you and he'll be influencing you to keep the truth in you. Galatians 2 verse 20 says that Christ should be living in you. And he lives in you through his spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 talks about the spirit of God and the spirit of Messiah being the same. Romans 8 verse 9. And also it states that if you don't have that spirit of Messiah in you, you are none of his. You are none of his. Romans 8 verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, or so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Messiah, he is none of his. So you can't have the spirit of Messiah and not want to keep the Sabbath, folks. I mean, that, that's just plain and simple as that. Acts 5, verse 32 says he gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. If you don't obey him, it doesn't make a difference if you don't want to keep the Sabbath or some other commandment. You're not going to receive the Holy Spirit. 
What I'm saying is that you have to keep all the commandments, not some of them, to be considered a complete believer of God. Okay, that is just scriptures, folks, that you cannot deny. You cannot deny those scriptures. Okay, so Psalm 81 verse 13 says, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. And another thing, too, let me just explain this. Uh, We're supposed to have, since we are his bride, we are his bride. And for those who don't believe that, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. It says right here, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused espoused, or betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Messiah. Okay? And so in Revelation 19, verse 7, it says the wife has made herself ready. The assembly or kahila or church, that's what the assembly is translated in the Greek, um, in English, uh, from the Greek. We are his bride. That is a basic doctrine that we must understand. All right. He's not looking for everyone. It says many are called, few are chosen to be his wife. He's looking for one wife. He, and that wife has to believe what he believes and do what he does. And that's a problem among churchianity today. Ephesians 4, they don't understand the scripture. It says there is one master, one belief or immuna. Immuna means it's pistis. And it means uh, to it means belief in the truth. One immersion, one God and Father who is above all and through all and in you all. And he's only in us all if we are obeying him. And that's the plain truth about this. And the truth has to be in us. And if you don't want to keep the Sabbath, if, if you... Today, you listen to me, and you still don't believe that you need to keep the Sabbath, then you don't have God's spirit. It may be working with you to even want to listen to me, but it's not in you. It's the difference between the spirit being with you and being in you. And I explain it in my book again, because I don't have time to go over that today, www.howgodcalls.com. Please get that, uh, get that, go to that website, www.howgodcalls.com, howgodcalls.com, and get your free ebook. So here's another scripture, Psalm 81, verse 13. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. So whoever Israel is today, they must walk in his ways. They must walk in his ways. And whoever Israel today is, they did walk in his ways at this time, and, and they don't. They don't. Just like, and what they're doing, this is a good definition of what Israel is doing today to Jews and uh, Christians majority of them, Romans 10, verse 1, it says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And they don't. The majority of Jews and Christians don't have the proper knowledge to understand the Bible completely. And, and a lot of Christians are guilty of not really looking at the Old Testament. They look at the New Testament, but they don't look at the Old. And they believe that false doctrine from Ignatius in the second century to say, well, um, the Sabbath and the Holy, that's just a Jewish thing. Uh, But whatever Christ said, that's the new thing we need to focus. That's the old. The Judaism is the old. Christianity is the new. And and that's not that's not correct understanding or theology. And Romans 10, verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them record that. 
They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, for they being ignorant or don't know of God's righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, let's look at the Bible definition of what righteousness is. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8 plainly states the following. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as this Torah, which I set before you this day? All right. And so that's very important uh, to understand. And then the New American Standard Bible Version is a better translation of that. It says, or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this old Torah, which I am setting before you today? All right. So as all this law, yeah, the King James Version says all this law, not some of it, all of it, the whole law, which I set before today. So that's considered associated with righteousness, but also Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Of verse 25, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. It says, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And then Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 172 says, my tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy mitzvahs are righteousness. So when you see righteousness in the Bible, it's talking about all of his commandments, that we got to keep all of his commandments. You're not righteous if you don't want to keep, you know of some commandments and you don't want to keep all of them. You just want to keep the ones that you feel comfortable with. That's not being righteous. So, Maskil of Asaph, give ear, O my people, to my law. So, his people are supposed to give ear to his Torah, all, all the instructions. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. That's Psalm 78 verse 1 psalm 78 verse 1 and see that that's something that we got to understand that god requires full commitment to his torah so that that's that's what uh he wants us to do and we must obey that we must obey his commandments ladies and gentlemen he wants us to do that is not uh he doesn't think that is uh uh, something that's unfair to keep his commandments. And unfortunately, most people think that it's a burden to keep his commandments. And it's not. It's not. It's not a burden to keep his commandments. And uh, God expects us to, to keep his commandments. And he says right here in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, See, I have set before thee this day life and death, uh, Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 See I have set before thee this day life and good And death and evil And that I command thee this day to love the master Thy God To walk in his ways and to keep his commandments That's that's what he wants us to do You walk in his ways by keeping all his commandments And his statutes and judgments That you may live and multiply And the master Thy God shall bless thee in the land Where you go to possess it And so he, why would he tell us something that <laughs> is impossible for us to do? And people say, we can't keep all the commandments. Well, why would God give us something that we can't keep? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all uh, for God to do that, for, to give us something that we can't keep. And I've, I've heard that from people uh, trying to justify not keeping his commandments. And so 
God knows us. He knows what we're capable of doing and what we're not capable of doing. And so God is not going to give us something that um, that is impossible for us to do. And so we have to understand that. We have to understand that and and realize that God knows more than us what we're capable of doing. Okay, so in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 4, he states, Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. So again, his people are supposed to, to get, hearken unto him and give ear unto him. For a Torah shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgments a rest for a light of the people. So Israel should be a light to the nations, and we should Israel should be keeping complete Torah. Now, who is a true believer of Yah? Yeshua's explanation, or Jesus' explanation of a true believer is found in John. This is the simplest definition I found. John chapter 5, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 46. Verse 46, and for those who are just joining, uh, this will be in the archives so you can listen to the entire probably two-hour message here. John 5, verse 46. I'm going to read this slowly. John 5, verse 46, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Now, this is interesting because Yeshua is linking his teachings with Moses' teachings. Moses taught that we need to keep the Sabbath and the holy days and also the clean and unclean meat instruction and all the other commandments that apply to us. Let me explain what I just said. The commandments that don't apply, that may not apply to us, are the commandments. If you're not a Levite, then you don't uh, participate in sacrifices and the offerings as far as taking the lamb or any other animal and cutting it up and putting it on the altar. You don't do those things, all right? Um, If you're a woman, of course, you don't follow the purity um, regulations that that, uh, apply to a woman. And if you're a man, you don't apply the uh, the purity regulations that apply. I mean, if you're a man, you don't do the purification regulations that's listed in Leviticus chapter 15 that for a woman. And if you're a woman, you don't do the purity regulations that are listed, I think, in Leviticus chapter, I know it's listed somewhere, in Leviticus somewhere, of uh, the purity regulations for men, et cetera. There's, there's other laws that, of course, like circumcision, that would not apply to a woman. So there are certain Torah commandments that don't apply to, to us. But the Sabbath is universal. Uh, clean and unclean meats is universal. And keeping holy days, which is like the Sabbath, it has its roots in the Sabbath. I'm talking about the the holy days or God's festivals that are listed. It's not the Jews' festivals. God's festivals is listed in Leviticus chapter 23, Yeshua kept those commandments. He said he kept all his father's commandments. That means we keep the commandments as well. And uh, John 15, verse 10, it states plainly, it states plainly that I kept my father's commandments. Okay. And he states that we must follow him. He is the ultimate example. He is the ultimate example in John 14, verse 6, that he's the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. And so if that's the case, then we must follow his example. And if he kept the Sabbath and if he kept the holy days, we have to do it as well. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 6, 
First uh, John 2, verse 5, But whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that says he abides in him, in verse 6 of First John chapter 2, He that says he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. So we must walk like Yeshua did. And what did Yeshua do? What's one of the things he did when he walked? Well, in Luke 4, Luke 4, verse 16, it states the following. Luke 4, oops, Luke 4, verse 16, it states, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went up into the synagogue on a Shabbat day and stood up to read. All right, and verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So this is what he did each and every Sabbath. Paul did it too, and the rest of the apostles. They fellowship with people on the Sabbath, and it's a commandment in Leviticus 23 to assemble on the Sabbath and to worship on the Sabbath, not on Sunday, even though you can worship God on any day, but the commandment, the commanded assembly to worship and to praise him and to gather together is listed in the Bible as being on Saturday, the, the Shabbat. And it's not just for the Jews, it's for everybody. The original believers that weren't Jewish fellowship with the Jews in, in, in synagogues. That's what they did originally. Uh, John, so let's, let's understand that. You have to understand the historical setting. The historical setting. To, you can't put everything in the gospel and say, hey, this is the way it is now. And they had churches back then like they have today. No, they did not. They had synagogues. Okay? It was a Jewish culture back then. That's what you have to understand. The Bible is a Jewish book. It's a Hebrew book, a Jewish book. John 15, verse 14 to 15. He states plainly here, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 15, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends for all the things that I have heard of my father I have made known to you. And remember now, he said in John 10, verse 30, him and his father is one. They are one. They are one. And here's another scripture that I have to quote, because people get confused by these things. And they don't understand uh, something that needs to be understood. Um, so John 6, verse 46, plainly states, not that any man has seen the Father, says we, which is of God, he has seen the Father. And then in John 5, verse 37, it says, and the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Okay, so no one has really seeing God, God the Father, they have not heard his voice. So who was the God of the Old Testament? Well, a simple explanation of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it talks about in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? The, the, the background of this is comparing our people in the wilderness compared to the, our people in the first century. And, they, and he's saying that they did all drink the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. So that rock, that spiritual rock that followed them was Christ in his preexistent form as yod the word of God. He is also God. He is a part of God. He is the word of God, yod the word of God. All right? And, and it says right here, uh, that they tempted Christ. I'm trying to find the scripture here. 
what it says here. Um, yeah, verse First Corinthians ten verse nine. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and destroyed his serpents. So, so that should be enough proof to tell you that the God of Yodevahe, since no one has heard God nor uh, seen his, no one has seen God nor heard his voice, the Yodevahe that they were experiencing back in the Old Testament had to be the Messiah, ladies and gentlemen. And that's another Bible study, but I just wanted to point that out to you. And so whenever he says, obey my commandments, that's, <laughs> he's, he's talking about the commandments of the Old Testament too, not just uh, any new commandments he created, which I don't see. The only commandment that was refreshed was the commandment where I want you to love people the way I love you. Okay. Other than that, he didn't break any of the commandments. He didn't change any of the commandments. And that's an incorrect teaching if you hear anyone telling you that otherwise. John chapter 15 John chapter 15, uh, verse 14 to 15. Okay, 15. John 15, verse 15. Well, actually, John 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And verse 15, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. I have made known unto you. All right, so let's go into detail. I got other scriptures here and this may be two hours here. I'm going to try to get done as, as quick as I can here. I'm not going to rush though. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. But this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. And so a true believer has the word of God working effectively in them. <laughs> if you're not a true believer, the word of God is not working effectively in you. It says right here, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works also in you that believe. So if you're not, if you don't believe in keeping the Sabbath, the holy days and, and eating, uh, if you don't believe in not eating um, unclean meats, then how can the word of God work effectively in you? It's impossible. Uh, let's turn to John 3, verse 16 to 21. John 3, verse 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So most people, a lot of Christians, they just stop right there. They don't read the rest of it. But let's read, read, read the rest of it. Verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So how do you believe in the name of the only son of God? Verse 19. And this is the combination that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. The light is Messiah. Darkness is Hasatan of the devil because their deeds were evil. Uh oh, uh, Luther, the, uh, he, he's the one that originated the Protestant uh, Reformation, right? He believed that faith must not have works. He did not like the book of James. That's just too bad. Uh, the book of James says faith or trust must have works. All right. In verse 20. John 3, verse 20, for everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, that not his deeds should be reproved. So it's saying that those who do evil, they don't want to come to Messiah. Verse 21, but he that does truth, you have to do truth. 
Doing truth involves keeping all of his instructions, including the Sabbath, the holy days, and the clean and unclean meats. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are walking God. All right, so let's continue on here. You got to put all the pieces together to get a clear picture of who God's people really are. First Peter 2, verse 7. And to you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So it says, unto you, First Peter 2, verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient. So those who are obedient are believers, and they're precious. But for those who are disobedient, they are certainly not considered believers based on in this, in this context. You are an unbeliever. If you continue to disobey, how can you be a believer of someone if you keep on disobeying them? Obviously, you're not a believer. You're not a true believer. That's just common sense. First Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, I'm not talking about the occasional slip-up, but I'm talking about just doing it consistently, just deciding, hey, this one commandment I don't like. I'm not going to obey that. Well, there's a scripture in uh, James that says this. James, uh, you, you just can't, it says right here, James 2, verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole Torah and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Verse 11. He that says, do not commit adultery, said, also do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. Okay, so you have to keep the whole law. And that includes any command. If you're against any commandment, how, how can the spirit of, of, of Yodhivahi dwell in you? Because in Acts 5, verse 32, it states plainly, he gives his spirit to those who obey him. He's not saying he gives his spirit to those who partially obey him. I don't see that anywhere. First, First uh, Timothy four verse three. First Timothy four verse three, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats or foods, rather. That that proper translation translation should be foods. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe. But belief means that you know the truth. So this is also the Bible definition of a believer, a true believer, that they know and understand the truth. If someone doesn't understand it, they need to keep the Sabbath, which I'm going to explain shortly, is the sign that you are a believer. Then how can the spirit be dwelling in them? God's spirit. It can't. It's impossible. Second Thessalonians. Now, it may be around them, but it's not in them. It may be drawn them to understand, but it's not in them cleaning them up. Only through the spirit can you be cleansed of your sins, ladies and gentlemen. The spirit has to be in you, not just around you or drawing you to it. It has to be in you so it can cleanse your mind up. Uh, Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 11. And this is God doing it. He can, yes, he'll, he'll send strong delusion. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has, from the beginning, chosen you to salvation. How do you obtain salvation? Through sanctification or being set apart of the spirit and belief of the truth. That's how. If you don't believe the truth, how can you be sanctified? 
the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, Yodhevahe, right? That's what they do in courts, in the court systems, right? In the court environment. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 32. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. He, the second Elijah, came in the way of keeping the commandments. And you believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. And you, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. So belief has something to do with understanding the way of righteousness, the way of keeping all those commandments. If you don't believe one of those commandments and, and believe you don't need to keep them when you can't, you should be keeping it, then you are not following the way of righteousness and you're not following the greatest man who ever lived outside of Messiah who taught and prepared way, the way for the Messiah's first coming. So this leads to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 18. So you should have a clear understanding of what this means here. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbeliever. Who's an unbeliever? That's somebody who has no desire to want to keep all the commandments. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Messiah with Belial? And what part has he that believeth with an antidote? And I'm having people say, oh, let's, let's have some Sunday preachers preach to us. And these are Sunday preachers that are not open to understanding that they need to keep the Sabbath. They refuse to not want to do it. And it's different if they want to do it, if they want to be taught that they should be doing it and they realize that they should be doing it. But if you're accepting people that totally reject any of his commandments, we are commanded not to fellowship with people in a worship sense. Of course, we have to work with people in the world. We can't stop uh, fellowshipping with people who don't want to keep his commandments, all of his commandments. But I'm talking about Pure worship. What is pure worship? Pure worship is taking care of the widows and fatherless in James 1 verse 27 and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. One of the ways where you keep yourself unspotted of the world is keeping all the commandments, especially keeping the Sabbath, the, the, the holy days, and the clean and unclean meat instructions. That will really set you apart. Those three uh, commandments certainly set you apart. Of course, keeping all of his commandments sets you apart. But the Sabbath in particular really is a commandment that really sets you apart. And I'm going to show that to you here um, in a minute, I hope. But anyway, I've come across some people using this scripture. I've had a few people that I've come across use this scripture in Romans 2, verse 14 to 15. Now, first of all, before I read this scripture, you have to understand something. You have to understand the historical context of the first century. And to help you understand the historical context, this book is an excellent book called Too Long in the Sun. And this is a book that, that proves that, you, that everybody who calls themselves a Christian or Messianic should be keeping the Sabbath. It doesn't make a difference if you're Jew or the tribes of, or one of the, or if you're one of those that's of the tribes of the 10 lost tribes, that's what I'm trying to say, Ephraim, the 10 lost tribes, or someone who is not of either of the 12 tribes, but you still believe that Yeshua is Messiah. You should be keeping the Sabbath because you're all considered Israel. All right. Or part of Israel. If you believe in the Messiah, he draws you near to the commonwealth of Israel. So anyway, uh, the Sabbath is a sign. Page 163. Actually on page 162, 
I'm going to read this from this book, uh, Too Long in the Sun, page 162. And this book is uh, it's a very good book. It's, who's the author here? I'm trying to find who the author is. You should have his, uh, oh, Richard Rives. Okay. Richard Rives, R-I-V-E-S. Richard Rives, R-I-V-E-S. And this is on page 162. He says, the church decided to give special instructions regarding the pagan practices, which were commonplace to the Gentiles, known that Gentile believers would hear to rest in the synagogues on the Sabbath. This reveals that the Gentiles believers were expected to visit the synagogues on the Shabbat. And they did. And they did. That's, that's in the book of Acts. It's a universal day of rest. Now, how could they go to the synagogues on Saturday if they were working on that day? The truth is that history reveals that all the known nations during the first century A.D. rested on a Shabbat day, Saturday. Let me repeat that. And that may be a shock to some of you who are listening to me. The truth is that history reveals that all the known nations during the first century A.D. rested on the Sabbath day, Saturday. Really, violating um, the Sabbath of those who weren't Jews didn't start not keeping the Sabbath until the second century. And, and Ignatius of Antioch had a lot to do with it. And you need to do your, your research on that. But if you're interested, you can email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com and I can give you some sources to, to prove what I just said. Or you can look them up on Wikipedia, Ignatius. It'll, it'll tell you what he did. The question is not did the believers meet on Sunday, but rather what did believers do on Saturday, this Sabbath day? Now, let me read this. The first century historian, Flavius Josephus, gives us great insight as to what took place on the Shabbat, not only in Jerusalem, but in all of the Roman Empire. This is, I'm quoting right from Josephus' uh, famous book. The multitude of mankind itself have had a great inclination of a long time to follow our religious observances, for there is not any city of the Grecians, nor any of the barbarians, nor any nation whatsoever whether our custom of resting on a Shabbat day has not come. But there is not any city of the Grecians, nor any of the barbarians, nor any nation whatsoever, whether our custom of resting on the seventh day had not come. Now, Philo, another contemporary of Yeshua, he lived around the same time, Yeshua, a first century historian of Alexandria, Egypt, reports the same finding. This is a quote from Philo. And in short, it is very nearly an universal rule. It is very nearly universal rule from the rising of the sun to its extreme west that every country and nation and city is alienated from the laws and customs of foreign nations and states and that they think that they are adding to the estimation in which they hold their own laws by despising those in, in use among other nations but this is not the case with all laws which Moses has given to us for they lead after them the inhabitants of um, continents and islands and the eastern nations and the Western Europe and Asia, in short, the whole inhabitable world from one extremity to the other. For what man is there who does not honor that sacred seventh day, granting in consequence a relief and relaxation from labor for himself and for all those who are near to him, and that not to free men only, but also to slaves and even the beasts of burden. And so what did the first century Gentile believers do on the Shabbat? They rested just as they always had. It was not necessary for the church to instruct the Gentile believers or those who were non-Jews as to the Sabbath. They already were observing it throughout the known world. Okay, so that is should be a bombshell to you guys that the Bible is a book about his people. 
and his people were Sabbath-keeping people. Now, when you understand that, then when I quote the rest of these scriptures, uh, it should give you a little historical context. So Romans 2, verse 14 to 15. Romans 2, verse 14 to 15. States the following. Romans 2, verse 14 to 15. And understand, we're reading something from the historical context of people being familiar with the Sabbath day. Okay, this is, this is not something that was going on in the 20th or 21st century, folks. Romans 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. All right, so we know that there's certain scriptures in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 16, verse 19 states the following. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from all the ends of the earth, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Okay, so Gentiles are born, people that are non-Jews, are born without the knowledge of the Shabbat, of the holy days, and so forth. And so, 147. Psalm 147. It states, Psalm 147, verse 19. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and judgments to Israel. He has not dealt so with any other nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the master. So God does not reveal, and he's not revealing all his Torah to everyone right now. John 6 proves that, and I, I explain this in my book, John 6, verse 44. Um, no one can come to the master unless the father draws him. He's not drawing everybody and he's not choosing everybody he's, he's drawing a lot of people but he's not choosing people from that draw right now not everybody is going to be a part of his son okay and that's the truth and nothing but the truth that's why it says many are called and few are chosen and in matthew 7 verse 14 it says it's only the few only the few only the few that will walk the way of torah completing completing all his commandments and we have the first fruits of the spirit in James 1 verse 18, first fruits in Hebrews, Bikarim. And first fruits is associated with Israel. So we have a spirit of a Jew, of an Israelite in us. And if we have the spirit of an Israelite in us, and in Ephesians 4 verse 5, there's one spirit, not one spirit that, that is for Jews only to keep the Sabbath and holy days, and another spirit for people who aren't Jews so they don't have to keep the Sabbath. No, there's a there's this one spirit, and that spirit will influence you to keep all the commandments, including the Sabbath and the Holy Day. That is as clear as I can explain it. But getting back to Romans 2, verse 14, so how do we properly exegete the scripture? Because obviously Gentiles aren't born naturally with keeping Torah. I mean, that, that's not what it's saying. So what, what is it saying? So what you have to do, you have to look at other scriptures where that word is being used, all right, to understand exactly what's going on with this scripture. All right, so let's go back to Romans 2, verse 14. What does nature mean? 
What is that talking about when you apply that to other scriptures? All right, we're about to find out here. All right, so nature. All right, so I'm looking at my complete word study dictionary. That's why you have to do word study diction. Uh, uh, you have to do word studies on, on some scriptures to understand clearly what it's saying. This means nature, natural birth or condition. Now, when you go to Romans 2, verse 27, it states the following, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, the same Greek word. That Greek word is uh, kousis, all right? And it's associating being uncircumcised. That means not being a Jew, not being a Jew, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature. Okay, so most people aren't circumcised. They, they, most people in the world aren't Jews when they're born, okay? And so that's what it's talking about, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law, okay? So it says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so that's what that's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, is talking about that nature, meaning that they weren't Jews. <laughs> that's what that's talking about, ladies and gentlemen. It's not talking about that someone is naturally born to keep the law. Okay, and, and Galatians 2 verse 15 says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, okay? And so, um, again, you, you have to, to do your proper exegesis when you know certain facts about the Bible. We are, you know, the Bible says we're born with wickedness. We're not born, we're not, all of us are not born naturally to keep Torah, you know? And even Jews aren't born naturally. They have to be taught by their parents uh, to keep Torah. All right, and he says here, Paul uses the word in Romans 2, verse 14 and 15, speaking of the Gentiles who do not having the Torah still obey it. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. So he tells us that they neither possess nor observe the written the law, yet they do by nature the things of the law. Paul refers not to the unconverted, but the converted Gentiles and uses the description given prophetically by Jeremiah of the Christian condition. So that's what he's talking about. He's saying that these, these people who aren't Jews, they aren't Jews naturally, they keep the law. That's what that's talking about. He's not saying that you, we all have it within ourselves to keep uh, Torah. If that's the case, then there would be any use for the Holy Spirit, right? So Romans 2, verse 15, states the following here. It says, which show the work of the Torah written in their hearts, that's the new covenant. That's through the Holy Spirit. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts to mean while accusing else of one another. Now, people go to uh, verse 12. It says, for as many as have sinned without the Torah shall, be, shall perish without the Torah. Now, it doesn't say that they'll ultimately be wiped out. Okay, it says that they'll perish. Yes, they'll, they'll die without the law to be destroyed, destruction. Um. And as many as have sinned in the, in the Torah shall be judged by the Torah, okay? So in other words, you're going to be judged based on what you have done, what you understand, because it's not a sin unless you know what you're doing, okay? That, that's what the Bible plainly reveals. Um, this is in James, if I can find the scripture in James. 
it reveals that sin is only sin if you know what to do and you don't do it. Yeah. James 4, verse 17, therefore to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I explain all this in my book uh, that you can get by going to the following website, www.howgodcalls.com. I have like four minutes left, and I'm going to talk 30 more minutes, um, and I'll get this uh, study done. But it's a, it's a long study. And I hope you understand Romans 2, verse 14 to 15. It's not saying that everybody naturally wants to keep the Sabbath and wants to keep the holy days and wants to stop eating clean and unclean meats and naturally wants to uh, not lie and everything. It doesn't naturally come to people. They have to learn those things. All right. It's talking about someone who is not a Jew um, is, is keeping the Torah. That's what it's talking about by nature. All right. That, that's what it's talking about, especially in that context. Cause when you look at Romans two, verse 27, states and shall not uncircumcision which is by nature okay so that tells you within that chapter what he was talking about so you have to look at above and below the scripture to to fully understand some scriptures that paul has written because you know second peter chapter three tells you that people that his writings are difficult to understand and we have to sometimes with paul's writing maybe sometimes more times than not you have to really do a thorough study of it to really understand what he was talking about. Now, Romans 8, verse 7 to 9 says, Because the carnal man is enmity against God, but is not subject to the Torah of God, neither indeed can be. So those who don't have the Holy Spirit can't keep the Torah. And those who resist keeping certain commandments, they're resisting the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, if it is in them, is not much in them or is not in them at all. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And here's another principle that you've got to understand. Acts 5, verse 32 says, he only gives his spirit to those who obey him. That means completely obey him. Numbers 14, verse 24 said that Caleb had a different spirit, and he fully obeyed him. He wants us to fully obey him, not partially obey him. You can't be a full believer, a true believer, a complete believer, just partially believing in him, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that, that's, that's totally impossible for that to occur. And so um, you, you got to understand that. And he says right in Romans 8, verse 7 and 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you're not considered a Christian or a messianic believer, whatever you want to, you know, Christ means Messiah. You're not considered a true believer if you don't have the spirit dwelling in you, the spirit of truth, which will influence you to keep his commandments. And to have a carnal mind means you don't have a desire to want to keep all of his commandments. It's a fleshy mind, and it resists keeping his commandments. And in Luke 9, verse 50, Yeshua stated the following. He that is not against us is for us. And people use this because it's in the context of another group. And remember, the first century context, This most people understood the Sabbath, and most people that were following Messiah was keeping the Sabbath. They wanted to keep the Sabbath. The centurion, 
In Acts chapter 10, was a God-fearer. He kept the Sabbath and the holy days. Apollo was a Jew. He was keeping the Sabbath and the holy days. So all the believers that are listed in the first century, and I'm talking about the true believers, they were keeping the Sabbath. So that is the historical context of that. You can't use that scripture and say, oh, that applies to Sunday preachers. You can't do that. And that's what some people are doing, and that's an incorrect way of using the scriptures. Luke chapter 9, so these people were keeping the Sabbath and the holy days because if they weren't, then how they would be against him, right? But you're not against Messiah if you do what Messiah did. And, you, and if you kept the commandments like his father can, uh, kept them. So he was saying, in effect, that they were keeping the commandments like he. So they're not against us. If they're not with us, that doesn't mean they're not with us spiritually. That's what he was talking about. That's the proper way of understanding that scripture. And in Luke 9, verse 49, okay, I'm going to be ready to go off the air in about seven seconds, but you can catch the entirety of this in the archives. Shalom. Peace. Okay, so I'm in the recorded session of the program. have about 30 minutes left. And so Luke 9, verse 49, and uh, Yochanan answered and said, Master or John, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. And verse 50, and Yeshua said unto him, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Okay, if you're for Messiah, what does that simply mean, folks? That you are doing what Messiah did, you are walking in his footsteps, and you are obeying him. Okay, so that's what that means. So you can't use that scripture to say, oh, just because of this scripture, then we can allow people who don't want to keep the sign of the covenant, keeping the Sabbath, and we can allow them to come into our fellowship and preach to us something that we don't know. That doesn't make any sense. What I do, I, I, I read stuff from people who uh, aren't following completely the commandments, but it's not necessary for me to have them come and teach my students. But I do read, I divide the word of truth as anything that is true, I accept, and anything that isn't, I reject. But I don't think it is very wise to have somebody come in and teach my students how to walk, how to obey fully when they're not doing it themselves. It's hypocrisy. And so it's just common sense. And so I hope you understand the context of the first century. And many people well, not many people, certain people have come to me and they focus a lot on miracles and emotions and, and uh, speaking tongues and so forth. And I'm going to do a, another Bible study to prove biblically that speaking tongues is what the Bible says it is, is miraculously speaking a language that you don't, that you haven't trained or you haven't uh, studied to acquire. All right. And that person that knows the language, of course, understands you. That's what speaking in tongues is. It's not speaking gibberish. Um, speaking gibberish was done, it's been done thousands of years ago, and it's continues to be done by those who practice the, are in the occult and so forth. And so when I do this program, I'm going to go into detail about that. And another thing, I want you to realize this. At the Tower of Babel, God confounded their languages 
and gave them known languages, not gibberish. And so whenever you see the word Babel, it's talking about different known languages. <laughs> and when people uh, speak this gibberish, they're not speaking a known language. They're speaking it's confusion. And first Corinthians 14, verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion. So if God is not the author of confusion, who is? And then Yeshua in Matthew chapter six says the following about how to pray privately. And so we got to follow his example. Matthew six, verse five. And when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but thou, when you pray, enter into thy closet, and when you have shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which sees thee in secret shall reward thee openly. And verse 7, it says in Matthew 6, verse 7, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions. And then the Hebrew sense of this, it says, um, And, and I'm using the scriptures version, which is a very good version if you want to get to bring out the Hebrew or Jewish background of the scriptures. Matthew 6, verse 7, and when praying, do not keep on babbling like the nation, for they think they shall be heard for their many words. All right. So God, he doesn't, Yeshua doesn't give any indication at all that we should speak gibberish. And remember, babbling was known languages. It wasn't unknown. And then he teaches us how to pray. And of course, the, the, the guideline he's giving here is in a known language. And there's nowhere in the Bible where you can see Yeshua or any righteous person praying in gibberish in a language that they don't understand. And there's no examples in the Bible of angels speaking a language that no one can understand. And also, when, you, when Paul said, if I speak, he didn't say he did. He said, if I speak, the tongues of angels and people think they stop there. Oh, when I speak gibberish, it's the language of angels. No, it's not. No, it's not. And Jews have always understood that the tongues of angels was the language of Hebrew and people have objected to that, but it's a historical fact, folks. Jews, there's many different advantages or the Jews have an advantage. Even those who aren't believers or full or complete believers. Romans 3, verse 1, what then is the advantage of the Yehuda or, or, the, Yehud, or the Yehudai or the Jews? Or what is the value of the circumcision? Verse 2, much in every way, because firstly, indeed, that they were entrusted with the words of Elohim. Okay, so there's value in Jews. Uh, there's value in Jews that even don't believe. In verse 3, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief notify the trustworthiness, the trustworthiness of Elohim? Verse 4, let it not be. Okay, And so just because they don't believe in Yeshua doesn't mean that their teachings don't have weight, but we have to use Yeshua's example and what he wrote and what his apostles and prophets wrote to be able to, to weed out which is true and which isn't. And that applies to any teaching. That applies to any teaching. And remember, let's understand this scripture too, because I don't think many people understand it. John 4, verse 24. Um Verse 22, John 4, verse 22, you worship what you do not. We worship what we know because deliverance is of the Yehudim or the Jews, okay? And so salvation is of the Jews. What did he mean by that? 
Well, in my book that I'm trying to influence you to get here, uh, HowGodCalls.com, explains what the government of God will be on the earth, ladies and gentlemen. And the government of God will consist of the, of the uh, following hierarchy here. It will consist of God the Father, Yeshua, King David, the 12 apostles, and the 12 tribes of Israel and the nations. And I have scriptural references to that, but for you to get those scriptural references, um, go download that book, www.howgodcalls.com. It's a free book. And um, realize that Yeshua is still a Jew. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Yeshua is the same yesterday, today, and forever. King David uh, was a Jew, the 12 apostles. Let me just quote this. Matthew, chapter 19, verse 28, says, And Yohei said to them, or Yeshua said, Truly I say to you, when the son of Adam sits on his throne of its esteem, you who have followed me in the rebirth shall also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And so that tells you right there, the apostles are going to be over each tribe, with King David, of course, being over Israel. That's found in Ezekiel 37, verse 24, and Jeremiah 30, verse 9. And, of course, Yeshua is over everybody uh, except his father. All right, so the hierarchy, the top hierarchy of government will be ruled, will consist of Jews. So that's the reason why we need to, to read the Bible in the context of a Jewish mind. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it states the following. Uh, chapter 2, rather, I'm sorry. Chapter 2. It says in verse 16, first 2, verse 16, who has the mind of uh, Yeshua or yod Who shall instruct him? But we have the mind of Messiah. So to have the mind, that's a Jewish mind, folks. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the favor and knowledge of our master and savior who is a Jew, Messiah. Okay, so we are to grow. We, we can't act like an anti-Semitic, uh, uh, be uh, anti-Semitic and resist any good Jewish traditions because Yeshua kept some of the good Jewish traditions, folks. He did. And so we must emulate him and follow his example. All right? And a lot of Christians aren't doing that. And that's why they're not, they're resisting the Holy Spirit whenever you resist anything that he commands us to do. You know, and, and that's the truth and nothing but the truth. And you can argue and fuss all you want, but that is the truth. That is the truth. And so let's get with the importance of the Sabbath here in the remaining time that I have. Um, 21 minutes. First of all, let's understand something that the Sabbath, Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews. And God created the Sabbath in the second chapter to be obeyed and to, to, um, to rest on that day. And Abraham, in Genesis 26, verse 5, tells us, and even the Jews teach correctly this, that Abraham kept the Torah, and that includes the Sabbath and the Holy Days, and we call ourselves children of Abraham. Uh, and also, let's understand something uh, in reference to the Sabbath. So, Isaiah, I'm sorry, not Isaiah, but let's go to Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. 
Exodus 31, verse 12. And God spoke to Moses, saying, And you speak to the children of Israel, saying, My Sabbath you are to guard by all means, for it is a sign between me and your generations that, to know that I am setting you apart. And you shall guard the Sabbath or keep the Sabbath. It is set apart to you. Everyone who profanes it shall certainly be put to death for anyone who does work on it. That being shall be cut off from among his people. Verse 15, six days work is done. And on the seventh is the Sabbath of rest set apart. Everyone doing work on the Sabbath day shall certainly be put to death. And the children of Israel shall guard the Sabbath to perform the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. Between me and the children of Israel is a sign forever for in six days made the heavens. God made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. All right, so that is the sign, ladies and gentlemen, that we should be, that's the sign. It's like a wife receives a wedding ring. Well, that's what the Sabbath is to us. It's, it's our wedding ring that we promised that we would keep all of his commandments. That's what the Sabbath is, and that's what it should be to us. And Isaiah 56, Isaiah 56. Starting in verse 1. Thus says, guard right ruling and do righteousness, for near is my deliverance to come and my righteousness to be revealed. In verse 2 of Isaiah 56. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who becomes strong in it, guarding the Sabbath that not he profane it and guarding his hand from doing any evil. Now notice it says man. It doesn't say just a Jew. So that's giving you indication, prophetic indication that he's expecting everyone to keep it. Verse 3. And let not the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to God how does someone join himself to God? By keeping the Sabbath. Speak saying, God has certainly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, look, I am a dry tree. So how do you join yourself? What's the ultimate way that you join yourself to him? By keeping the sign that you are agreeing to keep all of his commandments, the Sabbath. But thus says God, to the eunuchs who guard my Sabbath and have chosen what pleases me and, and are holding unto my covenant, to them, I shall give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I, I give them an everlasting name that is not cut off. In verse 6, and also the sons of the foreigner who joins themselves to God to serve him and to love the name of God, to be a service all who guard the Sabbath and not profane it and are holding unto my covenant. That's how you hold unto the covenant, by keeping the Sabbath. Verse 7, then I shall bring... Them I shall bring to my set-apart mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their ascending offerings and their slaughterings are accepted on my slaughter place, for my house is called a house of prayer for all the people. So that's a prophecy telling you that everyone is going to be expected to keep the Sabbath. And if you doubt that one, you certainly won't doubt this one, at least I hope not. Isaiah 66, verse 23. And it says, And it shall be that from one new moon to, to a new moon, and from one Shabbat to a Shabbat, all flesh, not some flesh, just not Jewish flesh, but all flesh. Isaiah 66, verse 23, and it shall be that from one new moon to a new moon, from one Sabbath to a Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares Yodei Vahe. And verse, Isaiah 66, verse 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die. It's not saying them, but the worm that's eating their bodies. It'll be so many bodies. That's what it's saying. There are enough bodies for the worms to just consume the bodies. And their fire not be quenched, and they shall be repulsive to all flesh. So if you don't want to keep the Sabbath and the new moons indicating that you will be keeping the holy days too, that's not a Bible study, then that's what's going to happen to each and every 
person who refuses to do that. In Zechariah chapter 14, if you read the whole chapter, it says all the nations are going to be required to keep the festival of tabernacles, which is one of the feast days. And so you can't get around with the fact that God is going to want everyone to obey his commandments, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to want everyone to be able to do the following. Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 23. It states, and they are to teach my people the difference between the set apart and the profane, what make them know what is clean and unclean. God's people ultimately are people who have the desire to want to obey him fully. That is his people. And it'll make a difference what color you are. His people have a desire to want to obey him totally. All right? And starts with the 12 tribes of Israel. But anybody outside the 12 tribes of Israel, if you want to be saved by the Messiah, you acknowledge him as the Messiah. And you acknowledge him by the Messiah by doing what he tells you to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he says. All right, and if you don't do that, then you don't love him, okay? You don't love him at all. It's, uh, it says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you shall guard or obey my commandments. You don't love him if you don't want to do that, ladies and gentlemen. You can't deceive yourself into thinking otherwise. <laughs> it's so plain. It's so plain if you just open your mind to see that. Um. God is going to expect everyone to want to obey his commandments. In Revelation chapter 22, to enter the, the holy city, it says right here, Revelation 22, verse 14. Well, actually, I'll read Revelation 22, verse 13. I am the Aleph and Tau, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega. Verse 14, blessed are those doing his commands or his commandments, so that the authority shall be theirs into the tree of life and to enter through the gates. So this is in the last book of the Bible, folks. So, you know, this, this is something that you have to understand. It's all about obeying all his commandments. Everybody. It doesn't make a difference if you're a Jew or Christian or an Arab or whatever. You're going to have to all obey his commandments out of this Bible. That's the way ultimately all of us will become saved. Now, let me explain something. Yeshua opened the door for salvation, but he didn't open the door for us to obey. We have to obey him. He just gave us the opportunity to be able to prove to God that we believe him by obeying him. That's what it means when it says trust must have works. And that applies to everybody. It's one spirit, not a different type of spirit for Jews to keep the Sabbath and holy days, and another uh, different spirit for those who are not Jews that leaves the Sabbath to be optional and, and leaves the observance of the holy days to be optional and then to leave optional also eating of the clean and unclean meats. That's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible that God gives different spirits like that. All right, so I hope I've clarified this to you. I took a lot of time to clarify this to you. And um, well, I have a few more minutes. Let me make a point here. People focus so much on the love your neighbor as you love yourself. But where did that come from? That, that, that's a summation, first of all. That's a summary of keeping all the commandments. And it is a commandment, and, and it is a commandment too. And it's found in Leviticus chapter 19. Galatians 5 verse 14, for the entire Torah is completed in one word. 
You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what is love? The, 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 the Bible tells us what love is. Romans 13, verse 10. Love does no evil to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the completion of Torah. If you don't complete the Torah toward your, uh, your fellow human being, you don't really love someone. You don't love someone. 1 John 5, verse 3 plainly states, for this is the love of God that we guard or keep his commands. And his commandments are not grievous. And then also in 2 John 1, verse 6, it states that, and this is the love that we walk according to his commands. That's what love is, ladies and gentlemen. That's the Bible's definition of love. And love also involves correction. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 6. It involves correction. And that's the type part of love that, that's the part of love that most people don't like. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be corrected. And so love your neighbor as yourself is in, is in Leviticus chapter 19. Let's turn there. And it says in verse 1, and Yodhevah spoke to Moshe, Moses, saying, speak to all the children of, of, of Israel and say to them, be set apart for I am God, your Elohim. I am set apart for I God, your Elohim, and set apart. Each one of you should fear his mother and his father and guard my Sabbath. And that's interesting that he equates the commandment to obey your parents with keeping the Sabbath. That's how important God feels that the Sabbath is. And I want you to notice that he's saying that those commandments, all of his commandments, but certainly the Sabbath set you apart. All right, and also in Leviticus chapter uh Leviticus doesn't make you better than anyone. It just tells everyone that you are being set apart by God to be different than the nations. Leviticus. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26. I'm trying to turn here. here. Leviticus chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Leviticus 26, verse 1. Do not make idols for yourselves and do not set up a carved image or a pillar for yourselves or do not place a stone image in your land to bow down to it. For I am Yodhevahe, your Elohim. Verse 2, guard my Sabbath and reverence my set-apart place. I am Yodhevahe. So, again, the focus is on setting ourselves apart. And if you walk in my laws and guard my commands, you shall do them. Okay, so you can read the rest of it there. But the importance, again, is setting yourself apart, which the Sabbath is the sign. It's our wedding ring that we said we would obey all his commandments, that we would obey all his commandments. And unfortunately, our people have done the following. Hosea 4, verse 6. My people have perished for lack of knowledge. We are still, the 12 tribes are still his people, folks. But we are his people that are rebellious. Partial believers are not full believers. They're not completely believing him. And if you're a partial believer, you're really not a believer. You, you, you're not believing like you should. And he says in Hosea 4, verse 6, my people have perished for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being priest for me. Since you have forgotten the Torah of your Elohim, I also will forget your children. And we have been forgetting this ever since the second century when we broke off from Jewish tradition righteous tradition that Yeshua would adhere to and the apostles and we uh, formed the Eucharist and we created all these other things that aren't biblical all right along with speaking gibberish not known languages but speaking confusion that's a part of the 
rebellion that the churches have done against the true ways of the Messiah. And so that's the message that I have today, ladies and gentlemen, about what we should be doing. And hey, this one scripture, let's look at the um, Jeremiah chapter 31, the new covenant. For this is the covenant I shall make with the house of Israel after those days. Okay. All right. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. See, the days are coming, declares Yodevahi, when I shall make a renewed covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Again, there's separation right now, Jews and Christians, and, but they will be combined one day. Verse 32. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I strengthened their hand to bring them out of the land of Mitzrayim or Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them. Verse 33, for this is the covenant I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yodevahe. I shall put my Torah in their inward parts and write it on their hearts, and I shall be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. All right, so the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Torah, the spirit of truth, what's going to happen? Well, when you receive that spirit, it's going to be written on your mind so you can keep the commandments. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, verse 26, verse 25, rather. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. And I shall sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I cleanse you. Verse 26. And I shall give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I shall take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I shall give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit within you, not just around you, but within you. And I shall cause you to, to walk in you mightily, I'll give you the power to walk in my laws and, and guard my right rulings and shall do them. Okay. And so if you have the true Holy Spirit of God, you're going to want to keep all his laws, not some of them. That's a test. And here, here's, here's the problem with our people. It hasn't changed. Acts 7 verse 51. You stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Always resist you always resist the set apart spirit as your fathers did, you also do. All right? And most of the twelve tribes, they still continue to resist the Jews and also Christians. The majority of them resist the spirit. And God is pleading with you through me. If you listen to this whole program and if you believe the scriptures I quoted then please repent and receive the true Holy Spirit in you instead of having it work around you to help you to understand Yeshua as the Messiah. And for Jews who are listening to this, it's time for you to understand that Yeshua is the Messiah. You need to understand that. Go to the Messianic Prophecy Bible website.com, the actually do a Google search, Messianic Prophecy Bible, the Messianic Prophecy Bible, uh, a miracle is occurring. Starting, I believe, in January, uh, you're going to receive uh, the book of Bereshit or Genesis and a commentary that will prove to you where the Messiah is in each of the Torah, in each of, of the scriptures. They're going to do the entire Tanakh to prove that to Jews and also to non-Jews that they doubt that the Messiah is revealed in the Tanakh. And so with that, Ladies and gentlemen, may Yah bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. 
For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 